This is B2B Enablement, a Click.io podcast created to inspire sales and marketing leaders navigating digital transformation. I'm your host, Dave Carr, and on this show, we'll share actionable insights to build winning digital strategies and deliver better sales results with your customers. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 24 of B2B Enablement. And today I've got a really good guest and also someone I would consider a friend. Uh, I've been on a guest on his podcast before, uh, and and he and I have, have really communicated a lot through LinkedIn. But my guest today is Josh Wagner, uh, who is also the host of Love Selling, Hate Sales. And I'll put a link to that podcast in the show notes as well. But today we are going to dive into the topic of 2021 recap of B2B selling. So what has changed? What stayed the same? What is going to carry over being different into 2022? And we'll just dive into some of those uh, aspects of the market. So real quick, I'm going to give Josh a second to do an intro of himself and we'll hop straight into the topic. Hey, Dave, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Like Dave said, been on the show, so we, we should we should make this a plain and simple conversation. <laughs> but I am an enterprise account executive with an organization called Shift Paradigm. Um, we're in the digital transformation space, so helping organizations connect all the dots between the standard things, people, process, and technology, but really making sure that we drive measurable results. So that's us. That's awesome. Well, Josh, let's just start out. Uh, you know, we'll keep this really broad at first. I'd like to just talk about some of the most notable things that you have seen changing in 2021 for B2B. We'll do a synopsis of that, and then we'll take some time to go down into some of the bigger topics individually. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about that, Dave, I think about three core things that they're not only impacting B2B sales, but if you think about the B2B sales and marketing, go to market landscape, right? And the first is, you know, we all talk about designing process, sales process, go to market process, whatever it may be. But I feel like there's been a big tangible shift this year into customer experience design as opposed to process design. So that's one. The second is, you know, the age of automation, marketing automation, sales automation, all of those things. That's kind of been the last decade, decade and a half. But now I think people are so going back to the experience piece, people are so done with being automated. You know, you know that feeling, you know you when you've been automated, that now companies and, and sales organizations are looking for always on orchestration, right? How do we orchestrate experiences going back to number one? And then the third is the fuel really for those first two things. And it's data, right? So marketing organizations, sales organizations, organizations as a whole, they have built these data traps within their within their walls for years, right? Buying platforms, plugging this in here, this, 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 and all these silos have been created. And there's no way that one and two can happen without three breaking down those walls and really creating a, a consolidated view of data um, for organizations. That, that's going to make your B2B sellers, you know, back to your original point, more impactful and more effective if they have a good data and good view of the customer. Yeah, you know, and one and two to me are are really changing significantly as we start looking at this whole new hybrid selling approach, right? Because Correct. when you have salespeople that are not spending as much time physically in front of customers, you have to use digital, you have to think about things like automation. But I mean, we all know what it feels like to be in, you know, a sales loft cadence, right? I mean, right, it, just, exactly. it, it, it feels cold, it feels stiff. And, and, you know, whereas maybe that was somewhat effective years ago, I don't even really think it was that much effective then. It now is, <laughs> is a totally different world, right? And so you have to have that balance of, 
the experience of being with some, you know, interacting with someone personally, but doing it somehow and automated it at scale. Um, maybe share a couple of insights if you if you guys internally in your organization or one of your clients has really seen something that has accelerated that. I'd love to hear some examples of some some success stories of how that's worked really well, bringing those two together. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's happening really across a lot of different industries. It's There's no one like who's immune from having to figure this stuff out, but no one that's really been hit hard is the medical device industry, right? Because you think about the history of that type of sale, it's very much industry foot soldiers going out, building relationships one-on-one with a physician, a surgeon, um, an admin at, a, at an office, you know, whatever it may be, shaking hands, creating uh, lunches, doing one-on-one type of product demos, you know, those types of things. And that is going away, right? There's there's regulatory reasons leading up to COVID and then COVID really amplified that environment. So, you know, we have a customer who is a, you know, global Fortune 100 medical device company who's that's hit them very hard. And when you think about global organizations that have that big of a footprint and sell so many different types of products and they all have different types of customers, right? So I'll give you the, the lay of the land of this group. There's the global organization it's broken down into four different regions. And those four regions, there's eight different business units, right? Each different business unit is operates like its own little billion dollar company. They all have their own separate set of customers, their own separate set of products, their own separate set of sales cycles, all these different types of things, right? But they're all suffering from that same problem is that, and this is what one of their sales executives told me was, we need to learn how to build one-on-one relationships as good, if not better, digitally. Yep. Right? So what does that mean? Well, that means as a seller, you need to give up a little bit of that, I own my book of business, right? Well, do you really, or or did you ever really, sure, you (laughs) walked in the door and you had a relationship, you know, you met that person, but- you're, you're selling your company's products, right? Like it's it's your company's data, right? So if we're going to be effective as sellers, we need to understand the value and power of data, both the inputs and the outputs, so that we can help enable the big picture to serve us better, right? It's kind of a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a give and take, right? And then on the flip side of that, the other problem is as organizations we're making all these investments and over the years we've made all these investments in technologies, but we're not thinking about the end user experience. Don't even forget about the customer experience right now, right? The end user, the field sales organization, it's what's in it for me. Like, how does this make my life better? If I know that I can walk into the office and and shake a hand, but I've never been told that that physician I'm going to see watched a video on our new product launch, downloaded the spec sheet and is looking at a testimonial no one even told me that information was available and it's not easy to find. It's not, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. these, these types of things that we can do a better job at the organizational level to support the field and the field needs to kind of give up a little bit of that possessive ownership of, of these relationships, so to speak. Right. So that's a little bit of stage setting to what you asked. Right. And you asked about what, what are some of the examples? So what we wound up having to do with this organization was one start with creating a organization-wide approach, right? What is what is driving demand and what is lead management? What do some of those basic things look like at a global level? 
And then what's acceptable, an acceptable standard deviation, let's say, down at the business unit level to account for the nuances of each of the business, right? So setting that standard and then helping everyone agree to and align to that standard, right? And then that's a, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. We're, we're two years into a five-year transformation with these people. So it's not a hundred percent baked, but getting to the sales piece of it specifically, we had to have some tough conversations with sales leadership about frankly, putting information into CRM. Yeah. Right. And there was this moment where a leader said, well, we have these Salesforce Fridays. We all get together and we just input what needs to be input. That's so a, how many problems can you pick out of that? That sounds like state? a recipe for absolute disaster. Right. I mean, you know, it's bare minimum so that they get paid, right? Which is fine. I get that. Um, if you're collecting all of your data from a week's worth of work, how good and accurate is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you pulling it from? A spreadsheet, a notebook, a, a recorder? Like, you know, who, who the heck knows, right? There's a million different things that can go wrong with that. So what we had to do was meet them where they are. And that's one of the biggest problems. And, and this is a, an interesting shift for this organization was we told the field sales leader, like, listen, let's make your sales force Fridays for now more impactful. Instead of trying to totally shift his mindset to you need to be using Salesforce more impactively, let us use Salesforce Friday to show you how to pre-call plan better, hmm. right? To make your interactions with your buyers better. And that was a little bit of a light bulb, like, oh, because they believe in pre-call planning. Right. Right. Like that's something that they they really believe in. So we had to latch on to one of those things that they really believed in, use the system to show them how to make that more impactful, but at the same time gather feedback for what else would be more impactful for them. Right. Like what's available, here's what's available to you now, but what what could be better? Right. So give them ownership and buy-in into that process a little bit. So that we can take the next little leap, which is, okay, maybe now we can get them logging into the system before a call, after a call, right? right? And some of these things, and we can build out a data framework that then we can go back to them later and say, okay, now you've been doing this for six months, eight months, 12 months. Guess what we can do for you now that you don't even have to talk to them, right? We can give you access to this content, we can send it through a campaign, or we could let you trigger that campaign, you know, whatever, right? We could start to open up some of those doors and, and, and release the reins a little bit, but it is a bit of a slow, methodical, intentional process. But, you know, doing the analysis, we've uncovered that, you know, just taking some of these steps could uncover about $14 million installed pipeline in leads that are just sitting there through their process because the, the salespeople aren't connected with the digital ecosystem, yep. mm-hmm. right? In the field. So connecting them into that digital ecosystem is, you know, there's there's 14 to $20 million of pipeline just sitting there. You know, that you, I feel like you can rinse and repeat that story on so many different industries. And absolutely. And I mean, and, you know, and two, I mean, with us, you know, and for those who have may not have listened to the podcast before, I'm VP of marketing for a sales enablement company. And our software mm-hmm. does a lot of what Josh is talking about. And so we see this every day. And it's there's never an organization that comes in and says, hey, we need sales enablement that has all their stuff straight. (laughs) Right. So if you had such a great process, like you wouldn't need that, you know, to to come fill a hole. Um, You know, one common problem is throwing technology at a problem, which never Mm -hmm. leads to good outcomes. But what I liked about what you said there 
And what I think is so important when you think about the changes of 2021 and how things are adapting to this hybrid is building that process over time, not trying to just jump off a cliff and and everybody wants to move fast, but, you know, trying to force a process. And I say this from experience because I've, I've been Mm -hmm. on the other side of the table of trying to go too fast and watching things break when you implement something like a CRM or marketing automation, Mm -hmm. but meeting people where they are and having some sort of value. So I loved how you gave the example of, Hey, we're going to take your Salesforce Fridays and we're going to give you some value by helping you think about pre-call planning, but we're also going to use it as a data collection experiment to figure out what we could do to to be better. I, I, I think if so many more organizations took that kind of mindset and, and we're more methodical around understanding that customer journey. What tools are we putting in place or what processes are in place to focus on better outcomes and then try to eat the elephant one bite at a time? That is a huge, huge problem I've seen with, with you know, tons of B2B organizations through this year as people try to adapt. Because you've got companies that may have not uh, you know, traditionally been good CRM users, yeah. companies that may have never implemented a marketing automation system or used... Uh, you know, sales enablement, whatever you can fill in the blank. And it's just such a huge problem for adaptation. Yeah. And, you know, and I was just this week, I was in Colorado visiting a, a $350 million revenue business and, you know, did some initial analysis and uncovered that conversion model, you know, their funnel where, where all the, the inflection points are and, you know, built out five core business levers that they could use to help accelerate that. They should be a billion dollar company. There's no reason they shouldn't be. And the impetus for these conversations and talk about your rinse and repeat, they are four years and $12 million into a Salesforce implementation with absolutely (laughs) zero to show for it. Yeah. Okay. The executive team is saying, we're not getting any wins and the field, half the field doesn't even know it exists. Right. And that was the missing connection. And it was what you just said, we're going to throw technology at this and we're going to be best in class. Whereas nobody in leadership aligned on, okay, what is our organizational objective or objectives that we're rallying around here? What are we trying to drive? And then what is the experience that we need to provide for our field sales organization so that this gets them going, right? And sometimes you only get one at bat with those groups. You really do. Yeah, You roll it out shitty. Yeah, sorry for the for the language, but they're they're tuned. They're like, all right, yeah, good. This isn't anything for me. This doesn't apply to me, right? And then you're digging, digging out of a hole. It's so challenging. And this is like you said, this is a story that just keeps happening and happening. And it's it's not the technology. It's it's really the surrounding people, process, um, and enablement. And enablement came up big in that conversation. I was like, listen, you guys, I. What if these people don't have to be in Salesforce? Right. Yeah. What if you can automate what if, that? <laughs> what if there's something better, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is built around their life, right? Their day. And Salesforce is just the back end. Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, you know, I'm preaching the choir here, but it's these are the things that are happening and being amplified now because it's so much harder to have these one-on-one relationships in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and really, you know, I feel like the pressure around all of this and technology change and B2B has been there for years. COVID was just the extra force that Mm -hmm. caused it to rise and pop to the top in some cases, violently for some organizations, but you know, but we've been moving here for years. It's like, you know, you, if if you're surprised by these changes, you've had your head in the sand, you know, it's, but it's been slow, but the challenge is, you know, traditionally we've had more of a linear timeline to solve these problems. Now Mm -hmm. it looks like a hockey stick. 
So how mm-hmm. are people adapting? And, you know, to your point, like, you know, using enablement technologies or, or things that can automate the way that salespeople do their job, collect data, report data better, report on their behalf. So they're not having to have a Salesforce Friday and do a, you know, a binge log of all this information, you know, things like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it can take huge steps by, by making little process changes. One of the other problems is, and I'm sure you've seen this before, is that companies are successful despite themselves. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I've seen companies right? that so, do a hundred million dollars a year by accident. <laughs> sure. So what's your, like at a leadership level, it's like, all right, consultant, you know, shift paradigm comes in, we're going to do this big consulting engagement. And they look at it and they're like, well, I, I'm printing money still. Right. So why? So that inflection point, I think COVID was one of those inflection points for a lot of organizations. Um, but I, I do think that I had a, a interesting call just this morning, actually. And I asked that question. I was like, listen, you're a huge globally recognized brand. Why do you want to fix this stuff? I mean, you're an $8 billion company. What, what, what's the, what's the impetus for fixing it? And I was one of the best answers I've ever heard. We bench, he said, we benchmark against ourselves. So we're not benchmarking against good or great. We're benchmarking against 2020, 2019, 2018. And the world has changed each of those years. So we need to understand what best in class looks like and benchmark against that. And I believe that fixing these things will allow us to do that. So it's that outward look, right? Not just being so tunnel vision about here's my world and this is all we do. Hey, we did two leads better than last year. Yay. (laughs) Whatever it may be. Um, I I thought that was a really great answer. I was curious, be curious to hear what your thoughts are. on I I agree. That is an incredibly good answer. And if you think about it, you know, a lot of the most successful athletes have thought about that for years, right? Like, yeah, I'm competing against other people, but at the end of the day, you're really competing against yourself. And, and especially when you get into that, you know, the big boy, big girl club of, of being, Mm -hmm. you know, one, two, three, eight billion with a B dollar company, you have to think that way. You have to run scared against your own shadow as much as you do just who your competition is to stay ahead of that. Because like, like your example of the $100 million company that was like, well, I'm printing cash. Why do I need to change? Those are the people that felt the pain. When COVID right, came, exactly. they felt the pain because they didn't, they didn't do anything to prepare. So for them, it's jumping this chasm of change all at once versus somebody like your $8 billion company example who have made incremental improvements each year. So for them, yeah, maybe it's a stretch, but it's not, yeah. you're not gonna have to change the way your company does business. You yeah, know? no infrastructure to fall back on. Right. And it's, it gets amplified worse in this private equity venture capital world, right? Because they you know, infuse hundreds of millions of dollars of cash oftentimes in these organizations with an expectation is that it gets spent. Yes. Right. It's, it's not expected that you're just sitting on that cash. It's like, you need to spend it to grow. And that growth can be incredibly problematic if you don't have the engine to scale it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that, what's the old the people process technology, right? You got to have Correct. balance because yep. any one of those three that gets out of balance, then you have challenges in the organization. Yeah. Even on a small scale, I met with a a founder yesterday and he was telling me about, or no, it was a a venture guy and he was telling me about a company he bought. And he's like, well, you know, what should I do? I got this guy who can do all the digital. I've got this, that, that should I hire a big sales team, you know, all this and that. I'm like, man, you can throw 
a million bucks into digital if you want, but it's going to be lighting it on fire because you've got no way to ingest all of this. And if you hire 10 salespeople today, they're not going to be worth anything Yep. for six, eight, 12 months, maybe. So again, if you just do the, the model of we're going to pull the levers on digital and we're going to add a sales team and think that that's going to generate cash, like it's, it's not. If you maybe take a step back and you know their product does not need a, an enterprise sales motion, right? It could be product led. You know, build out an orchestrated experience for the user that <clears throat> incrementally builds and captures demand and turns that demand into revenue and in kind of an all way and have it with a support team, right? A customer support team. And, you know, it was like I invented fire, but you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where. Um, you just got to think a little bit. The process matters. The engine matters, um, especially if you're going to start investing more money into technologies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good segue to, to kind of take that, you know, in other other lights of the organization and how things work as a process, as teams, et cetera. You've been with an organization that, that was highly specialized in marketing and sales mm-hmm. and bringing those two together. What are your views on the new status of sales and marketing and the alignment of those teams post 2021? What what have you noticed as the biggest impacts and the and the necessities of bringing those two together? I still it, honestly I don't think it's that much different in 2021 than it was in 2019 or 2015. Um, oftentimes it comes down to definitions right? People define things differently and they're a little bit wired differently in sales and marketing, right? And that's fine. Both of them add tremendous value to the organization. But if we can't come to joint alignment on what things mean, you know, simple things, then we're never going to be able to solve for them together. So that's one of the biggest things that I've seen is just getting companies to sit down and say, what does this mean? Right. And, you know, I always use the MQL as an example, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the longstanding marketing metrics that we've looked at that's supposed to mean something to sales. And oftentimes it doesn't. Um, so, you know, really hammering out along the journey. And now that, you know, like I said, there should be a shift in the customer journey, mapping that customer journey very detailed and what all of those touch points along that journey mean. And then defining that in terms of, okay, how do these definitions, what do they mean to sales? What do they mean to marketing? And then once you do that, you can align roles and responsibilities that everybody agreed to. So that's the next missing step. We don't agree on definitions. Because we don't agree on definitions, we don't agree on who's responsible for what. So everybody just does nothing. And But but you do bitch. You do say, well, marketing doesn't do shit and sales doesn't follow up on what I give them. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just kind of this slippery slope of things that happen. You know, I don't think that answer would, be, would have been different two years ago. It's still, still see it. It still happens. Um, I think people are trying, but my hope is that as we shift from process design to customer experience design, that there is less infighting because it's not about sales and marketing process. It's about customer experience. Yes. And hopefully we can align on something that's outside of ourselves. That that's the key, Josh. And to me, it is it, you have to look at that th- how you align the customer experience to all yeah. of that. And, and I wouldn't disagree. I mean, I think marketing and sales alignment has always, excuse me, sales and marketing alignment has always been important. And it was yeah. five, ten years ago. I think the reason organizations are feeling more of it now is that marketing, by default, in this new digital world where people spend seventy to eighty percent of the journey on their own, 
is now right. being seen as, you know, marketing is a huge piece of rev gen, right? So revenue yeah. generation is now a whole thing and you're, and you're seeing, you know, chief revenue officers now taking the place of, of CMOs um, yeah. simply because, you know, and I think, you know, having been in B2B myself for over a decade and then having spent almost the past three years in a SaaS software company, it's really interesting to look at the dynamic differences, you know, and I think B2B traditional B2B now is just starting to catch up to where SaaS was even five years ago around this right. idea that marketing's got to take a front seat in, in revenue generation um, and, and lead generation. And, and that's what people are trying to figure out because I think a lot of traditional B2B companies still look at marketing as sort of, you know, the flyer making department or the, you know, <laughs> you know, God forbid the, the counter day, lunch and learn, whatever group, it, is, right. it, it just doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. And so you've got to think about where those two groups come together on the experience. Yeah. And, you know, you and me being in a B2B SaaS world for a long time, we do have to remember sometimes that they're still light years ahead of a lot of, you know, 100, 200 year old organizations that just have we do it this way because this is how we've always done it. Right. And there's there's still lots of industries with lots of work yet to do that are even beyond what we see in the B2B SaaS world. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But I, I think your example of med device is a really good one. And I think you can, you know, again, there's a lot of others you can plug into that. I mean, you know, pharma it shares some similarities in that. Uh, it's very, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and high-end, like industrial automation control, <clears throat> you know, anything that's including cloud-based systems where you're selling IoT devices, it's sort of there. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this chasm that goes back to like, okay, well, then you've got like industrial distribution companies, which they're still sort of like, they're in the 90s now, I guess. I used to say the 80s. Right. Maybe, maybe yeah. they made it to the 90s now. They made it. They made it. They they're good. Well, they'll, they'll survive, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, those are the changes that everybody feels differently, depending on where you are, where you are in yeah. that sort of the hierarchy of the supply chain, how close you are to the customer, what your industry is like. It, there's not going to be a one size fits all. But I think that if you look across all of them, you'd be crazy not to say, OK, well, all those roads are leading to more digital and hybrid interactions. And, you know, I, there was a stat. I'm probably going to butcher this, but. <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was around 73% of buying committees are now made up of millennials. So for every buying committee you talk wow. to, which are which getting bigger every day, and you know this because you're in this world wow, all the yeah. time, buying committees getting bigger. So now over 70% of those individuals at the table are millennials. And we all know very different buying process, very different, uh, different approach, right? Lots of one-on-one -on -one self research. Yeah. Huh. I mean, that's, it doesn't, surprised me, but I hadn't heard it. So it kind of did surprise me. That's interesting. I'm yeah. glad you shared that. Yeah. So it's, th but those are the things too, right? It's, you have to start thinking about how, when you go back to that experience. So not only thinking about that whole roadmap, but also that ideal customer profile, you know, totally, how, yeah. how do they buy? How do they think? What, what makes them move? And, you know, I think so many times we get so anxious to jump to the, well, let's implement Salesforce mm -hmm. or let's implement Marketo that we fail to think about what does, what does Bob and Jane and Bill and Sally, what, what, what do they really experience as they go through this process and how are they as individuals, even at the demographic level, how do they think differently? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. you know, you, you got, you got to stay plugged into that. Yeah. Let's implement Marketo, let's implement Salesforce and let's buy more leads. Like <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty antiquated playbook that yields not a very good result. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. 
Well, um, talk to me a little bit more about the funnel in general. And, and I know a lot of people are, you know, and I would even venture to say that the funnel is now becoming outdated, relevant to things like um, the flywheel concept, right? Mm-hmm. Which HubSpot has really been an advocate for for years now. But tell me a little bit about your perspective of how the funnel has changed and the management of the funnel. How has that changed sort of post-hybrid selling? Yeah, I think, like to your point, whatever you want to call it, it's more cyclical than than a linear funnel, um, whether it's a flywheel or a bow tie or, you know, whatever folks are calling it these days. I think in a digital perspective, you hit the nail on the head, right? These marketing teams now who need to be responsible for a larger portion of the buyer journey from a digital standpoint, selling to millennials, well, um, they need to own that relationship, not only from an acquisition standpoint, but they need to be looking across the entire journey, right? The, the, the journey of that person doesn't just end at closed one, right? That's our thinking, right? right. We got to, again, switch our mindset over to the, to the customer and the experience that they're expecting. They're expecting greatness after they buy from you, right? So we can't just turn off, right? So all that effort and work that we put in at the front end, we need to continue that effort and work to keep them as a customer, especially in B2B SaaS, when you make your money in year two, three, four, five, six, seven, if you can keep them around yep. that long, Yep. right? So I think we're starting to shift a little bit away from acquisition at all costs to intentional acquisition around the ideal customer profile, like you mentioned, right? Really thinking about who cares about our story and will they be a good fit for us in the long term? Because maybe at acquisition, they're only worth an eighth of their actual lifetime value because we know the best fit customers, if we do it right, have all of this incremental revenue opportunity baked into them, right? Because we did our research, right? We did our, we did our market research and we took that market research and we built a data model around our ICP. We took that data model and implemented it in our systems that we could actually orchestrate experiences for these customers. And once we were able to do that, we now put campaigns in place that mean something and not just acquisition campaigns, but campaigns across that entire flywheel. So, you know, I think that's what's changing with experience at the center of it. Um, and it requires sales teams that have traditionally worked in the field. You know, the field may get smaller, right? Field Traditional field sales may start to shrink. So if you're not in a position where you can understand what a hybrid role looks like, say, I've been fortunate, right? I've been in a hybrid role for, for over a decade. Uh, you know, I'd go out in the field if I needed to, but for the most part, I'd do Zoom calls and this and that. So this didn't in, impact me, but that's a new skill that a lot of, field sellers are going to have to learn and how do they plug into that flywheel? That's going to be interesting, right? As sales yeah. evolves. And if we continue in a hybrid world, um, I think marketing is better actually positioned right now for that transition than traditional large field sales organizations. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And you know, one thing I would build onto that as well is if sales leaders aren't making really, really close friends with customer success, or if your organization mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a customer success function, I think that we're really going to see that become more predominant in B2B as we go through the next couple of years, because you're right. And, and especially when you start thinking about, you know, B2B companies that, again, I'll go back to the IoT example. So if you're selling something that's, you know, connected type product, cloud enabled, that revenue is only going to get more and more incremental uh, and, right. and even exponential as time goes by. Um, and very similar to like if you're in SaaS world, like for, for us, you know, our initial 
uh, deal size is typically you know a sixth or an eighth of what that account is worth overall, right? And we got there you s- go. six yeah. eight you know x upside on land and expand strategy. And so I think that when you keep that in mind and you think about how that goes across the entire customer lifecycle year four five six, you've got to have customer experience in there to help to help run that along. Now, the the bridge gap in companies maybe that aren't there yet, I will totally agree with you that marketing, I think today is better positioned to sort of adapt to that and own that more so mm-hmm. than sales, right? Because they just think that way any, anyway from a campaign standpoint and and, and all that, um, that that we as marketers just do on the front end of the funnel. So right. I think it's going to be interesting. I really do. But I, I, if I had to make a prediction, I, I would say that we're, we're likely going to see a lot more traditional B2B companies start implementing customer success teams. Yeah, I think customer success, um, you might, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking you may see a melding of customer success and inside sales. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, sales is kind of a bumpy road, right? There's obviously, there's always the bell curve of top performers and then kind of the middle of the road and the people that fall out, but sales has a big churn problem. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there for those investments in customer success to start to gobble up people who are actually quite talented, but maybe don't have the appetite for sales and start to shift some of that solutioning mentality that so that good salespeople have into something that, you know, is customer success oriented. Yeah, that's a, and that's a great prediction too, Josh. I, I totally can see inside sales melding and, and sort of becoming one with that customer success type process. And, and, you know, over the years, I mean, looking at really good outside salespeople and really good inside salespeople, mm-hmm. I mean, the skill sets are different and a, yeah. a really good inside salesperson has some of those natural innate strengths of a really good customer success person, right? Like they just yeah. think differently on that. They're, they're more nurturing. They're more, you know, Hey, I'm going to grab it, take care of it, whatever the problem is, I'm going to fix it, you know, and right. that's what you have to think about from the, the customer success standpoint. All right. That one was organic. Just came up with it on the fly. There you go, man. <laughs> Dropping alpha all over this podcast. <laughs> Take notes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, listen, speaking of, I know we're getting deep into time here. I think we've touched yeah. on a lot of really good topics. You know, if, if you had to kind of summarize this up, you know, walking away from 2021, looking into 2022, what are your predictions for next year? Yeah. Um, the, Customer centricity is not going anywhere. And for marketing and sales, we need to double down on those efforts. And it's going to require some rethinking. Um, Rethinking about touch points, both digital and personal, because those aren't going to go away, but they may be shrunken down a little bit. But really think about the core things that go into understanding your customer. Um, You know, revisit your market research, revisit your personas, revisit your ICP. And then once you do that work, don't let it sit on the table and, and collect us on a shelf, right? Operationalize it somehow, build a data model around it. You know, you, you bought all these systems. I mean, if you're in B2B marketing right now, you've got every system out there. Use them, right? Yeah. Activate those systems in, for good, right? Build a nice data model around them so that when it's time to spend that money on whatever campaign you're going to spend it on, you're doing it against, against a really good set of data and against really good research that you can operationalize. That's to me what enabling the customer experience looks like. Yeah. Great thoughts. Couldn't agree more. And I, I agree. Data has got, is going to continue to become even more uh, of a piece of that puzzle and how you operationalize it, you know, data, totally. with, data without interpretation. Uh, it's, it's just, 
garbage, right? <laughs> it's just data. Yeah, it's, it's not information. Data. It's just data. Yeah. And I saw a great infographic the other day, and I think it was um, Dave Gerhart, maybe from Drift, that had posted yeah. this. But it was uh, all the different. It was shows you know data, then organized data, categorized data, and at the bottom it was data stories, and it's Legos. So like raw Very data cool. is just Legos all over the table, right? But you build that all the way down to a data story, and now you've got a castle, right? And that it's, it's right. just spot on. I loved that That's illustration. So yeah, loved that illustration. Look at Dave, always coming up with something good. Yeah, he's, man, you talk about dropping alpha. God, that guy. He's, he's, he's a good one. If you don't, if you're listening to this and you're a marketer or hell, even if you're a salesperson, salesperson I'm sure. telling you, go follow Dave. Cause he is always he's great. just dropping fire, man. So, well, listen, Josh, thank you so much for, for joining. Um, got great conversation as always. So I'm going to put in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to Josh's LinkedIn profile. I'll also put a link to his podcast in there as well. Definitely check that one out. It's got some great, great content. Um, put a couple other things in the show notes just around resources that we've got around this topic. Um, if you're listening to this, if you found this content valuable, go ahead and hit the like button or the subscribe button. Uh, both of those not only help us grow our listening base, but it also helps program the algorithm to get us in front of other listeners like you that may find uh, find this valuable. But um, Josh, thank you so much for joining. Listen, man, hope the, the rest of 2021 is great. Happy holidays and uh, best wishes for 2022. All the same to you. Thanks, Dave.